We want God to do the miraculous in our lives. God is a miracle working God. God is um, a supernatural God. God intervenes. God helps. God answers prayer. God does uh, signs and wonders. God heals. And we need to have that as a mentality, an expectation, a miracle mentality. Is that okay? And expect miracles. And uh, one of the old songs that we used to sing in the olden days when at that one, expect a miracle every day. Expect a miracle when you pray. If you expect it, God will find a way to perform a miracle for you each day. If we expect a miracle, God will find a way to perform a miracle for us every day. Amen. So this morning, I just want to continue a little bit concerning acting on what we need to act on for visitation, for a move of God. Last week, I just touched on a few things, and um, I want to just move there again and uh, just continue. Right through the book of Acts, we see that the apostles, that the disciples continued to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw how they were conscious of certain things. For example, the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and prophesying. Remember, I spoke a little bit about Philip going to Samaria when persecution broke out, Acts chapter 8, and a great revival hit the whole city. One man brought revival to the whole city. Everybody say one man. One man. Now let's change it. Just so say, I can. Okay, we'd say, you can also say one woman. So now if, you, if I say one man, you know I'm including both genders. Okay, just like the Bible. All right? Say, so I can bring revival to a whole city. Then in Acts chapter 10, we saw, and that was 10 years later, when Peter and them went to Cornelius' household, a member of the Roman contingent that was there, Roman centurion, and the power of the Holy Ghost fell in that house while Peter was still speaking, while he was still speaking. I had that in the Merthyr Tidville in Wales so many years ago, 1993 that the church was standing. There was a very ordinary meeting. I had finished that 40 days of fasting and prayer. We had had an awesome prayer meeting with Pastor Dave and the elders, and the power of God just hit us in the prayer room. Everybody was on the floor, out under the power of God. I got up. I walked into the church. Pastor Dave had to preach in the next town. I started preaching, and as I started preaching and I started speaking, the power of God hit the whole place. And people just started going down off their chairs, running around, screaming under the power of God. One guy just stood up and he just started running revolutions around the church. Just going, hallelujah, Jesus, Jesus. It was just pandemonium just broke out in the church. And it was while he was still speaking. Say this, say, while I'm still speaking, revival can fall on people. In 20 years later, 20 to 24 years later, on his third missionary journey, Paul goes to the town of Ephesus, meets 12 men, starts talking to them. They haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. He keeps it as a priority. The point that I'm trying to bring out is that we need to have the person of the Holy Spirit as a high priority in our lives. Amen? We need to be conscious of, develop a relationship with, speak about, move in, do what he tells us to do. We need to be people of the Holy Spirit. All of the time. Amen. I was touching on it last week, and in order not to hurt any feelings, I was preaching to John, because I always preach to myself first. And that is, the problem with the Christian church is the Christian church has become so satiated with materialism and everything else, we are as susceptible to marketing just as much as the world. We are 
as consumer-orientated as anybody in the world. The church doesn't know about sacrifice anymore. There was a time when the church would sacrifice. They understood sacrifice. Let me just chuck this in now. While you're praying for churches, pray. Another great church that I know of, they're going the way of this universal inclusion doctrine. The pastor is now preaching there is no hell and all of this kind of thing. You know, how can a God of love dangle you over hell? God doesn't dangle anybody over hell. He sent Jesus to get us out, to save us from hell. And so, you know, it's a subtle doctrine and it's coming up more and more. You know, he's such a God of love, such a God of love, such a, you know, he loves us so much. And they use this very flowery, emotional, humanistic language to talk about the love of God. You know, the love of God is the least mentioned characteristic of the nature of God in the whole Bible. Percentage-wise of verses, did you know that? It's the least mentioned. It's true, it's powerful, but God is equally a God of justice, just like He's a God of mercy. Amen? And um, all you've got to know is just a little bit of Bible history to see how God promised the Israelites that there would be destruction for their sin, destruction and judgment for their sin. And then all you've got to go and do is read the events of AD 70. God prophesied it right through the Old Testament. So God is not averse to. He doesn't want to. It's not what is in his heart. He wants all men everywhere to be saved. But if anybody refuses, they are going to a place that we in English call hell. So another young pastor has asked us to do a study on it, and Andre and I have been doing a study. He's done quite a bit on it. And the word hell, our English word hell, does not appear anywhere in the Bible in Hebrew or Greek. But the reality, the concept, if we could call it, of hell is there very much present. So the word hell is a Saxon word, and part of that means to cover. And so, you know, people go there are covered. And so it's a subject. So we be doing that because more and more I hear, I hear Christians, you know, it's innuendos. It's uh, kind of subtly suggested. But every church that goes for the inclusion universalistic doctrine it ends up smashed up and broken, completely destroyed. So much so that Tom Scarella has even asked me, please, would I do a teaching on it, on universalism and whatever doctrine that is, the inclusion doctrine. God does not have problems excluding. He doesn't. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the love. Anyway, that's not my subject for today. Is that okay? I'm just mentioning it. God is not a, a totally inclusive God. He said, all that want to come to the Father must come by me. I am the door. There is no other way. Is that okay? So God is not just you know, standing there, arms open. He says, you can all come, but there's a specific route that you've got to come. And that's by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. The world is not saved. The potential of it, of, you know, their sins are forgiven, but they still need to repent and believe. They're not automatically saved. So we've got to be careful of those pernicious doctrines. It's a doctrine of devils. Amen? So one of the things that I was talking about is how Christians want what they want, how they want it, when they want it, Christians included. There's no sacrifice. There's no living right. There's no living holy. There's no doing it God's way. Come on, church, if we want revival, we're saying we want more of God. We want His mercy poured out on us. We want great waves of grace to move through the church. Well, you know, that puts an implication on us to live our lives right according to the Bible. 
Is that okay? Yeah. It's a thing called living holy. Yeah. Is that right, church? Yeah. And so we need to live holy lives. You know, it just struck me a little while ago. I get many people ask me, please pray for me, please pray for me, please pray for me. And I started to realize too many want a person of prayer in their lives who God answers their prayers, but they don't want to pray themselves. They don't want to get up early. They don't want to take the time to pray. But, oh, if I can just pick up the phone and phone Auntie Jenny or Auntie Rose, please pray for me. Well, how about you praying? How about you getting up early in the morning? How about you becoming a person of prayer? Is that okay? Where others can come to you and say, would you pray? Oh, my goodness. Everybody wants the advantage of a godly person in their lives. Want godly counsel. I want the power of your godliness, the godly influence in my life. Well, how about you being godly? Often, you know, for Christians, sin is too convenient. I like what Dr. Phil always says. Yeah, and what does it do for you? What are you getting out of it? Why do you get into repeated habits and things? And, because you're getting a payoff. And people like getting the payoff, even if it is at the expense of the declared blessing of God for doing things the right way, because it's short-term gain. Want revival, but not what it takes to have revival. We want an anointed pastor, you know, and it must be anointed service. Nah, the Holy Spirit's not moving in that church. I'm going to another church. Well, how many hours have you been on your face praying for your pastor? Because he's been on his face praying for you. You know? And it's like, well, the service wasn't really anointed today. Well, how much time did you take to pray in this week? Oh, the worship team was a bit off this morning. You Well, how long did you pray? They prayed. They prayed. No, I'm not saying it this morning. This morning was anointed. But that's the kind of comments that you hear. Well, were you at band practice? Have you prayed? Did you come and put in the effort? How about you pray for the worship team? So Job 12 says this, You know, thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. Now I want you to understand, God is gracious, and he does move because none of us are perfect, but he wants to see us progressive. We need to be growing in faith and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then he does visit. And then he does swallow up our weaknesses. Then he does do things. But we can't just live like we want to live and then say, God, I want more of you. I like what one preacher once said. You know, this person was saying, I want more of Jesus. I want more of Jesus. And this preacher went up. This person was shouting at the front of the church in the prayer line and went up and said, well, how about giving more of yourself to Jesus? Give more of yourself. Then you can have more of Jesus. Isn't that right? You know, if we take little initial movements, God takes huge strides towards us. So why don't we see more? I mentioned last week, compromise, fleshly. The flesh, it's amazing how satisfying the flesh can be. You know, it's just like the Proverbs where it talks about gossip as a choice morsel that goes down into the inward parts and delights the inward parts. You know, when you're gossiping about someone, it feels so nice initially. I know none of you can relate to that. Not one person, because you don't gossip. I mean, you're all looking at me like, really? No, it's those Catholics, I'm telling you. You watch them. Yeah. And so, you know, the fleshly aspect, the fleshly aspect. And I touched on it last week. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, what we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God 
so that we may understand what God has freely given us. The more you give over to the Spirit, the more you freely understand what God has for us. The more you indulge the flesh, the less you understand what the Spirit has for us. It's that sowing and reaping thing again. But I just love 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. If Paul was standing here today, how would he address us? Let's just move on from that. In Proverbs 20, verse 27, the writer, the preacher says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Everybody say it. My spirit is the candle of the Lord. Now look what David says in Psalm 18, verse 28. For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. So now listen. My spirit is the candle of the Lord. And God then wants to light the candle of my spirit. How does he do it? There's several ways. Predominantly, he does it by his word. So listen to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest passage in the Bible. It's the longest psalm in the Bible. Something like 165, 170 verses. Maybe there's even more. But um, listen to what he says. Just, uh, just a few verses. My soul cleaves to the dust. In other words, there's a tendency of me to be carnal, to be fleshly. And he says, but listen to this. He says here, but revive me according to your word. In other words, if I can get into the word, God can revive me and make me more spiritual. In other words, God will come through his word and light the candle of my spirit through his word. Is that okay? Second verse Verse 37, all in Psalm 119, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Isn't that awesome? And then verse 40, behold, I long for your precepts, which I find in your word. Revive me through your righteousness. Verse 88, revive me according to your loving kindness so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth, which is what? His word. And then he goes on, in verse 149, hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. What are his ordinances? His word. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Verse 154. 156, great are your mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your ordinances. In other words, God is extremely merciful. But he will revive us when I live according to his ordinances. Come on, church. There's no other way around it. Verse 159. Consider how I love your precepts, the precepts in your word. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. Come on, church. Over and over again. If I live the word, live the word, live the word, God will revive. God will visit. God will move. Okay? So then the fourth point we looked at was that desire. Listen, God moves on desire. God moves on hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And those are, that's not the only scripture. There's several other scriptures. God moves on our hunger. God moves on our longing. God moves on our desire. Why should God come and pour out revival on people who don't want it? Who are not seeking it? Who don't prioritize it? You know, that would be literally, and, and excuse me for saying it in the, in the context of believers, but that would be throwing pearl before swine. 
It would be. Taking the riches of his grace and throwing it to people who don't want it. Come on, God wants to move in our lives, church. God wants to move in our nation. God wants to move in this church. But it's, it's requisite, it's prerequisite that we prepare ourselves for revival. Is that okay? And, um, and so it's important. So, and we see it right through the book of Acts. Now, for sake of time, I just want to just quickly talk about a few ways to prepare for visitation. Now, I want us to look at Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, uh, keep praying for me. The book is progressing. Uh, I'm just finding work piles up, and then I get less time to write, and I've got to quickly snack and um, snatch times to write. And uh, it's progressing, and I, I tell you, it's such a blessing. I'm finding it very, very exciting to study and to look into, um, into the Word. And um, it's just amazing. I'm falling in love with the word like I have never been in love with the word ever in my life. It's so rich, you know, it's so full. Right down to when the Bible talks about grapes and figs and, uh, and vine, you know, the grapes, and uh, how it applies it to his people, and then thorns and thistles and brambles, right down to that. And the theme goes right the way through the Bible. It's just absolutely incredible to see, you know, God rolling up the heavens and the stars and the moon and the and the sun is replaced and, and all of that, and it's all there. It's all there. I'm starting to develop a great um, appreciation for the, the prophets in the Bible and how accurately they prophesied, but more and more seeing that they prophesied to the nation of Israel and not to us. There's nothing, nothing to us in the Old Testament. There's one or two verses still that possibly may apply to us, but all of it too was Israel. And Jesus said it, the law and the prophets were until John. Is that okay? And it was all fulfilled. So keep praying for me. It's, uh, that book is going <laughs> to do something. Amen. So I'm also a good way through preparing for the next Udemy course, Who is the God of this World? So that's quite a shocker. And then, uh, you know, there's been elaborate teachings on it and teachings on, you know, Paul talks about us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and this kind of thing. And they've done all this hierarchical thing on demons. I'm going to do a follow-up on that and show you who they were, yep. which is going to bring out a better understanding of, you know, how big the devil is, mm -hmm. really. Okay. You all good? Yes. Jeremiah 29 was a prophet just prior to the exile and during the exile period when they were in captivity. And it was Jeremiah's book in two passages that Daniel reads. When a, a revelation hits him, they are in captivity in Babylon. And Daniel was a man well-versed in the Scriptures. And he read the prophets. And he read Jeremiah. And from Jeremiah understands that the exile in Babylon is only for 70 years. And he starts to realize, man, if that is the case, and possibly he realized that towards the end of the 70 years, because he was a very old man already. When he wrote the last chapters of the book of Daniel, he was probably in his 90s. And all that time from a young man, probably his late teens, he had been a statesman and in government in three successive empires. In the Babylonian Empire and in the Medo-Persian Empire and then just coming to the end of it, 
you know, the Medes and then the Persian Empire. So he was there during the reign of all of those emperors, those empires, but stood as a man of God, interpreted dreams, had all these things, and he starts to read 70 years. That's why under the rule of um, the reign of King Darius, who was a Medo-Persian, he went and threw his windows open to pray three times a day. What was he praying? The fulfillment of, you know, Jeremiah's prophecy, 70 years. And that's when they set a trap for him, and that's when he was thrown into the lion's den. That's when the lions were thrown into a Daniel den. You know, because it was the same guy that said, those that know their God will be great and do great exploits. Is that okay? And so, so here he is, 70 years, and then it's partly fulfilled. You can read about it in Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm telling you, Nehemiah chapter 8, do yourself a favor. Go and read Nehemiah chapter 8, because... Now the first lot of people are back in the land, and they're back in Jerusalem. And then Nehemiah stands up, and he starts to read. And when he stands to start to read from the law, because God has now restored them. They had a mini revival. They had a visitation. Nehemiah chapter 8. It's powerful to read. Because when he stood up to read from the law, all the people stood. They didn't want to sit. They stood in honor of hearing the law read. And as they read, I mean, Nehemiah had to hand over eventually, and they're reading all the law of Moses, the things that you're supposed to do. The Bible tells us that there was a sound of great weeping. The people just began to weep when they realized they transgressed the word of God. And that's why they had gone into exile. Come on, church. We're still talking about visitation. If you do what is right according to the word, God will visit. Can I have a good, good, nice, woo? And so read Nehemiah 8. It's powerful. It's powerful. And it happened to be a Sabbath day. And they'd also heard how they broke the Sabbath. And also at the same time, it was the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Weeks as well. And they realized they hadn't been doing that either. And as they're reading from the law, they're weeping. They're weeping. They're just weeping. Until eventually the scribes who were reading and Nehemiah to say, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Today is actually a day of celebration, you know. But we read him, but they were repentant in their hearts. And they eventually had to say, okay, go stop crying. Let it be a day of joy. Go and enjoy the rest of the Sabbath. They came back the next day, and then they realized, oh, my goodness, we should be in the Feast of Tabernacles. They started going out, and they started telling everybody, cut branches, cut bushes. We're going to put up booths. We're going to put up tabernacles. We're going to celebrate because this is what God said. It's a time of fellowship and all of this kind of thing. And they get together, celebrate the harvest. Great revival broke out when they stood and read the word. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? But there are two parts. So, Jeremiah 29. Everyone say Jeremiah 29. You know Jeremiah 29, and you know this uh, promise. But now, the promise was actually made to Israel, but we can claim it, all right? So, look at what God says in verse 4, from verse 4. Just a few verses, a few verses, and then we're finished. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, this is what God says to the exiles. Are you all listening? Because I'm going to draw principles out. He said, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what the gardens produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. There. Do not decrease. It's very interesting that God would say that to them in the, in the land of exile. 
Because then God knew you're going to be there for 70 years. You're going to be there for some time. But I don't want you to go into decline. I want you to go into increase in prosperity. Now listen, church. Listen to me. You cannot effectively pray, and that's why the rapture doctrine is partly so devilish. But you cannot pray for revival for South Africa if half of your heart is already gone. And, you know, if people feel led to immigrate, that's great. That's what God's telling them to do. But it's like for many, it's like our emotional bags are packed, and we basically go like, well, let the ANC do what they want. They've got the country. They're running it down and all this kind of thing. If we have that kind of attitude, how can God do revival? Mm. It's like pastors that take over churches, and then they're standing and preaching and you know, prophesying revival and all this kind of thing for those churches, but their emotional bags are packed and they're looking for a bigger church down the road that's got more money. Seriously. You can say amen or ain't or anyway. But we can't, have a, we can't have an abdication mentality with South Africa and everything that's going, well, it's hopeless. You know, they've stolen all the money. They might as well just take it all and all of this kind of thing. And uh, no, no, we must have a commitment to pray. We are the salt and light. Is that okay? So we can't have a, ah, oh, well, you know, let him have it, attitude and pray for revival. Because we've got to give ourselves to pray, to do what's necessary to see revival in this nation. So God wants us to live an increase in this place. Is that right? So God wants us to grow spiritually. He wants us to grow. We need to be growing in the Lord. Is that all right? I mean, if you think this is bad, try and live in the time of the apostles under emperors like Nero who would chop your head off and throw you as sports to the lions for being a Christian. I mean, we don't have it tough. I mean, we got it good. And if you think it's rosy living in other countries, go and live there. It's not long when you get under the surface and you find, ooh, it's people just like in South Africa. I was so shocked a few years ago, not that many years ago. We were really into our new democracy, and we were discovering, you know, how deep hands were going into the public funds already, and how many millions and millions was being stolen out of this country by leaders who purport to be there for their people. Yeah. You know, that all the RDP houses could be built already. Yeah. All our roads could be tarred. We could have wonderful medical facilities if the hundreds of billions hadn't been stolen. It's true. It's not a political statement. It's a factual statement. But you think, you think it only happens here. No, it doesn't. I remember getting to Ireland when Ireland just became part of the European Union. And they started telling me the millions, billions of euros that were stolen. They said everywhere yeah, people were running around with paper bags with euros in it and pounds. I'm talking Ireland. The land of saints and scholars. Come on, church. You'll find it anywhere. Is that okay? Wherever you find people, you'll find sin. So we need to pray. And he says also, verse 7, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is for Babylon. This is for the people that had conquered them. These are the people that had taken Daniel and his friends from their family, castrated them so that they couldn't sleep with the, the king's concubines. And these are the ones that are saying, pray for their prosperity. Yeah, but you messed up my life. 
You messed up my whole future. You changed my destiny. Pray for the peace. This is hard now to say amen, eh? Amen, it's hard to say amen. <laughs> he says, you'll prosper. And then he says this in verse 10. That was 4 to 7, 4 to 8. Now from verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you. The Hebrew says, I will visit you. Come on, everyone say, he will visit. And I mean, we're not having it as tough as what they did in, in Babylon. They couldn't even sing because they said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We might feel like everything is against us, this new Padupa bill and everything. Unfortunately, our government is more secular. They don't have much sense. They've proved it. If you think I'm being political, I'm sorry, I'm not. I am being absolutely logical. Yeah. And I'm just stating the facts. They have got no, absolutely no sense. People were taken and put into places of leadership because they were friends or family or something or whatever. There was some kind of, I owe you whatever it is, or I know what you're doing. Okay, well, I'll put you in that position. You don't tell on me. You can steal the money there, but don't, because I've got dirt on you too. And that's, how, that's what wickedness does. That's what happens when there's no righteousness. And that's what you can see that's happening in the government. You can see that's happening in the ANC. They're killing each other now. And I mean, you listen to them on the news. No, because that one's eating with that one and they're not leaving us any food. It's all turned inwards, church. But listen to what God says. Despite that, I can turn the captivity. I will visit you. So revival after revival, go and study them. Revival after revival after revival came. And changed the morality yes. of nations. Yes. Those early preachers during the Wild West days in America, and it wasn't romantic days, you know, to you know, running goodies, six gun Laredo, and all of those, you know, paint your wagons, and all of that kind of thing. It wasn't nice days. Those guys were wicked and lawless. The West was lawless. And there's stories of preachers standing, crowds so big that one preacher couldn't reach the other end. And they would stand on rocks or piles of earth, and they were all preaching together. And they said in those days that one particular time, it was like cannon fire opened up on people as they were slain in their masses under the power of the Holy Spirit. And God turned that potentially rebellious nation around, and they became the most God-fearing nation on earth. They give the most as a nation to missions than all other countries put together. So you can say what you want about America. There's still things that they do that is right and godly. And thank God we've got an America. It's only people with political agendas, and unfortunately they've influenced our government, that they shout about America. It's part of the Muslim narrative. Go to the Middle East, you'll hear it. I know what I'm talking about. Now they've done a lot. So God says, I will visit you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Listen to what he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So number one, the great, great thing about positioning for visitation is obey God. Obey God. Is that okay? Everybody say obey God. Obey His word. Obey His word. Even if it's not convenient, if the word says this, do this. 
If it says, do that, do that, do the written word, you don't need prophecies. You need the word. Prophecies are good, but we need the word of God. We need to obey the word. Everybody say, obey the word. Do what's in the word. Secondly, ignore every message that speaks contrary to the will and purpose of God. Ignore every message. Ignore the naysayers. Just don't listen to the news to try and hear what God's doing in the country. You won't find it there. Okay? And so there were false prophets. So the verses earlier, before the verses that I read, verses 8 and 9 of Jeremiah 29, false prophets were going around and saying, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. Jeremiah was correct. At the end of 70 years, almost exactly to the end of 70 years, God brought them back to the land of Israel. Don't listen to other news. Don't listen to your fears. Don't listen to your flesh. Don't listen. Don't listen. I was listening, and it was a guy that we had in this church. And, and he talked about how, and he used, you know, really disgusting terminology. He says, and I'm not saying the word, and he's supposedly Christian and a, a Christian minister. He said, it boils my pee. But he didn't use the word P. He used another word. He said, it boils my P when I hear preachers preaching about a coming revival. No such thing. God have mercy on him. We'll invite him when it's happening. Okay? But anyway, they were here and they couldn't handle the church. It was just, we were just too much for them. So ignore messages that speak to the contrary. Live the way, live the way God wants you to live. Amen? Amen? It's really interesting how, you know, it's what Bev says. There's such a thing on social media. I was listening to Candace Owens this week, and she's talking about how China is behind many of the agendas to bring down the West because it has made a declaration, and those plans have been discovered, in that at the centenary of Mao Zedong, that China will own the world. And you can listen to her thing, and she gets facts after facts after facts after facts. They own Hollywood. They own big tech. So if, if you say anything they don't like because they've got such a hand in Facebook, they'll shut you down. They've completely shut Candace Owens off. They've blocked her, just like they blocked Donald Trump. China had a hand in Biden coming in because they didn't like Donald Trump because he was putting embargoes and changing import-export tariffs. She gives all the facts. It wasn't Russia. And I don't like preaching politics, but I want to get to a point. But she gives fact after fact after fact. China owns Hollywood. China owns Nike and all that. So they own most of the sports people, sportsmen and women in America. That's why you'll never hear any of them speak out against China. They own Hollywood. You'll never hear Hollywood speak against China. And that's why they all ganged up on Donald Trump. And our government is so clever they speak out against Donald Trump. Why? Because they're in the pockets of China. China is giving huge amounts of money into Africa. China is, and they deny it. Our president stands up and denies it. China is the new colonial power. In Zambia, nearly every road signboard is in Chinese and in English. Already, now. They already own the television, and they're after the owning the water. And it's them that instigated the Zambian government to tell the Zimbabwe government the Victoria Falls is ours. Sure. Am I trying to frighten you? No. 
What am I trying to tell you? That there's a propaganda in this world. And we need not, we must not listen to the propaganda. So China is encouraging all this woke doctrine and the multiple genders doctrine. They are funding it. They are putting money into those movements. But do you know what China is prioritizing right now? They've got a national program sponsored by the state to encourage men to be more manly. Okay, everybody say, wow, that's amazing. I'm not trying to scare you. So the rest of the world, they're demasculating men and they're behind it. But in their own country, they're trying to emasculate men and say men need to be men and state-sponsored. And the rest of the world, they're all wimpy, you know, and all effeminate and all this kind of thing. What other gender, what other thing they are? I don't know. Men need to be men. God made the male and female, he created them, not 26 genders. They're promoting the woke thing. It's almost a, a religion already. Woke thing. It's time the church woke up. Amen. So we need to position ourselves for blessing. Everybody say position ourselves. There's an incredible story in Valparaiso in Chile, and it, a great revival broke out in Chile in 1908 and spread through the whole country. Do you know why? Why it happened? This particular Anglican church, what do you say, Anglican? Anglican church. The pastor was preaching Holy Ghost and fire and power and all this kind of thing. And then an earthquake hit and destroyed their church in 1906. And the only way the pastor could think of still having a congregation, because now they had no building, he just split the congregation up into their geographical areas and their suburbs around the city. And then he trained up men and women to be encouragers, he called them, encouragers. And they would kind of like preach on a Sunday, and he would go around and visit. And then all these people stood up, and they just started to encourage just started to encourage the communities and things like this because the earthquake had done great damage. And so now in multiple sites, these men and women stood up and then they started getting a burden for the people in their communities. And so they started standing and preaching and then all of a sudden, revival fell in all of those little groups. And ultimately it spread through and it was a great revival in Brazil which actually continues very much to this day out of that. So they were positioned. Everybody say positioned. And God has placed you where he has placed you, in your job. God has placed you in your area, in your suburb. God has placed you in your church. But we need to stand up and be encouragers and be people of prayer and say, I want to tell you that God is going to do something. So number three, we need to position ourselves. Number, number four, we need to be people of prayer. Is that okay? And we need to pray for our church. We need to pray for our pastor. That's why I'm doing the three-week prayer strategy. It's very interesting. There was a man by the name of Hudson Taylor. He started a mission called China Inland Mission, also early part of the 1900s, I think it was, or late 1800s. And he went into China and he started to preach, but he was a man of prayer. I mean, he used to pray hours and hours and hours and hours a day in prayer. And he made it his goal to lead one Chinese person to the Lord every single day. And he did that for many years up until he died. But he started China Inland Missions. And he worked in a couple of specific provinces. Now I want you to hear this. Hudson Taylor is very well known. 
He worked very hard in just certain provinces, not all of the provinces of China because he was limited. But he started prayer meetings and he taught those Chinese believers how to pray. And so they would begin to pray like Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. But they would pray. You know what was really interesting? They saturated those places in prayer. They saturated the towns. Wherever they went, they prayed. They prayed over their cities. They prayed over the villages in those particular provinces. And do you know when revival broke out? They broke out exactly in those provinces. In other words, God comes to pre-saturated lives. God will first come to pre-saturated areas. God will, that's a good place to say, wow, I was so touched by that. From there, it spread to the rest of China. But it started in the locations where they prayed and gave themselves in prayer. Come on, church. We need to be praying for South Africa. We need to be praying for ACF. We need to be praying for ourselves. We need to be praying for our workplaces. We need to be praying for the businesses in our church because that's where God will break out in prayer saturated areas. Amen. And then we need to be ready. I like what one revival theologian said. I was studying some of his stuff and he says, get ready to ride the big wave. The way that you prepare yourself for it is all of the points I said is that, number one, obey. Number two, ignore the spirit of this world, the voice of this world. Number three, position yourselves by being in prayer and also in preparation of your hearts. And then number four, pray. Number five, get ready to ride the big wave. So one of the things, and I like what Pastor Peter DeFin put on, he doesn't put long posts on on uh, Peter DeFin from Axe Church in, the, in Midrand. He doesn't ever do long posts, just short posts. And he just posted last week, revival begins in the heart. And if we want revival, guess what? We need to be revived. So if you want revival, if you want visitation, you need to be revived. Is that all right? So... There needs to be something that is woken up inside of you that says, God, we have got to have so much more. We have to have more. God wants to do more, church. Amen? Amen. God wants to come. Amen. And I am prophesying it. I prophesied it right from the word go. Prophesied it to Jared Cooper. I told Andre Bronkos the same thing. And he's saying America is a buzz. There is something powerful happening in America. And even... As far as the economy is concerned, he said America is absolutely booming. Mm. One of the things that I prophesied, and you will remember it, I said that after COVID, there's going to come an economic boom. Amen. I'm expecting a boom for myself personally. But other thing that I'm expecting, the virus didn't disappear off the face of the earth. Prophets put themselves on TV and I'm kicking COVID off the planet. Well, it's still here. The kick didn't work. But I believe that there's been a restraint on COVID. I believe that things would have been far worse if the saints had not prayed. I believe that it would have taken much longer to come out of the vaccine if saints hadn't prayed. Are you with me, church? I believe that things would be a lot worse economically if we weren't praying. But I tell you what is going to happen. God has stored up 
God has reserved all the prayers of millions of saints, millions of prayer hours, praying for nations, praying for things, all of the fasting and all of the lockdown and all of the stuff that has affected the church. God is going to take revenge. And the way he takes revenge is just to pour out more of his spirit. Amen. That is going to turn and change things. You mark my words. Amen. If it doesn't happen, I will ask you for forgiveness and then we'll press on for a move anyway. Is it all right? But come on, we need to position ourselves, church. And so we need to live right, believe right, you know, and be revived ourselves. Pray for revival. So I'm encouraging you over the next three weeks, take time out to pray. Use that thing that you've got, that device that you carry around that is so much part of your life, that you WhatsApp on and all those kind of things. On there, it's got a calendar thingy there. And you can put alarms on it. It's amazing. You know, and it can go dee, 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 during the day. It's incredible. You know, if you will use that technology, it'll go dee, dee, dee. remind yourself to pray for Pastor John on Tuesdays, you know, or whenever it is. Remind yourself to pray for the president. And you can set it to beep every hour. You can set it to go off at your lunch hour. You can set it to go off and say, all right, I, you've got to live determinedly. You've got to live deliberately. Church, you've got to live intentionally is the, the proper word. And so with intentionality for the next three weeks, I want us to say, come on, let's pray. Set your alarms. Do something. Don't go, okay, I'm going to remember to pray. But then you don't action it. That's right. You know, you wouldn't wake up for work in the morning if you didn't set your alarms, majority of you. You need that thing to go beep, 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 beep. Is that all right? Otherwise, you won't go to work and you're not going to get paid. So live intentionally. Set your alarm. Do something. Put a knot in your tie. You know, if you wear a tie to work, when all go, what's that? And say, that's to remind me I've got to pray today. Take action. Come on. Is that okay, church? So for the next three weeks, we're going to pray more than that we pray normally. Amen. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart, says the Lord. There has to be more. Revival changes things. Revival changes things. Can we just lift our hands to the Lord? And I just want you to respond to him in the respect of signing up for the next few weeks to pray. In the sense of saying, I'm going to live intentionally for the next three weeks. I'm going to really seek God. Come on, the COVID thing has had an impact on the church worldwide. Some countries are coming out of it. We're still going through it. But I'm telling you, we're going to come out of it. I said to Andre, what is it like in America? He said, it's like normal. No masks. You can go to gatherings. And you know, all these prophets, you know, and a lot of pastors were phoning me during lockdown and saying, everybody's talking about this new normal. What's the new normal going to look like? I said, when the virus is over, it's going to just look like, like before. No masks. You're going to go to the bank. No screens. No sanitizing wherever you go. Even in France, they've just said, no, you don't have to wear masks. No, no, no. Things are going to go back to normal, church. It's going to go back. Come on, let's just raise our hands. Just talk to the Lord for a bit. And Jesus, we want to just sign up. We live intentionally. Father, we want you to move. Now you see if we want you to move in South Africa. We're asking for visitation personally. We're asking it corporately for ACF. We're asking it corporately for the church in South Africa. We're asking you, Father, for a visitation to our government, a wonderful president. 
God, there's that seed, Christ in him. I want you to revive it, Lord. I want you to breathe on his heart. Lord, there's others. There's others in parliament who are men and women of God, but they are shouted down by the unbelieving majority. God, would you do a work of revival in this nation? In the name of Jesus, would you raise up greater men and women of God? Father, I pray for uh, Mahueng Mahueng. Lord, vocal, outspoken. Lord, let more catch his spirit, Father. Kenneth Mishwe and others. Father, thank you for the prayer that already takes place in Parliament. But Father, we look forward to it with the day when they get back to Christian values. Excuse us, Muslims. Excuse us, Hindus. But this is a Christian nation. We're going to pray to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't want to, you can walk out of Parliament. But we're going to pray. Father, let that kind of boldness come into this nation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Father, would you move? Would you move? Would you pour out your spirit? Lord, your promise is so many places in the Bible. You pour out your spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters shall prophesy. Lord, we've got to get back to seeing visions, prophesying, laying hands on the sick, seeing them recover. Lord, we've got to be like the apostles, the disciples, laying hands, raising the dead, seeing lepers cleaned, blind eyes opening, deaf ears. God, come, visit, revive the works of your hands in the midst of years. Lord, in the midst of days, make it known. We've heard of your fame and we stand in awe of your deeds. You did it in the 1700s, the 1800s, the 1900s. Do it now in 2021 and onwards, Lord. In the name of Jesus, come and move, Father. Father, we pray. All those on live stream praying with us, saying, let it be, Lord, let it be, let it be, let it be. Let it be, Lord, let it be. Amen, Lord. Move, oh God. Move in power. Move, Lord. God, would you just come? Lord, we, have, we experience such moves, 93, 94, 95, and in between. God, we want something that's continuous. Something that's perpetual. Fires of revival through this nation. Let it be like in the days. Andrew Murray in South Africa, Richard Ngidi, Reynold Bonker, Quibus van Rensburg, and many others. Smith Wigglesworth, the impact that it had in South Africa, John G. Lake. Father, there's ancient wells. Wouldn't it be awesome to see the Methodist church living like in the days of John Wesley and Charles Wesley, the Jeffreys brothers, William. Wilberforce. You're doing a revival of tent meetings in America, Lord. Father, bring back the days of A.A. Allen, Jack Coe, William Branham, R. Roberts, all the great revivals of healing. Lord, they came to restore healing to the church. Father, those wells of revival, just open them again, Father, in the name of Jesus. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Thank you, my Father. Thank you, my Father. We all agreed and said, grant you peace Lord give you wisdom for this week the Lord cover you with his wings of protection the Lord give you every provision that you need in every way for life and for godliness in the name of Jesus the Lord grant you his presence the consciousness the awareness of his presence from the 
time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. May your dreams be of vision quality. May they be prophetic in the name of Jesus. May He give you hope and joy which strengthens you in the name of the Lord Jesus. May He strengthen your body. May He give you wholeness, health, and healing in the name of Jesus. We all agreed and said, Amen. Bless you all, church. Love you.